I want to talk to you this morning about following Jesus. Um, it sounds like a real basic sermon, doesn't it? Following Jesus. It's something that we all would say that we are doing, that we're following Jesus. When Jesus walked this earth, he was very direct when he called his disciples. He didn't give them an option, really. He just gave them a command. Follow me. Follow me. He didn't give them, do you want to? He just said, no, you follow me. I have you picked out. I've chosen you. Follow me. And they did. And they left their passions. They left their life. They left their, their businesses. They left their responsibilities of their life. And they followed Jesus 100% without reservation. If Jesus was here this morning, if he physically walked, Excuse me, if he physically walked down this aisle this morning and he turned to you in your seat and he said, Calvin, follow me. If he said, Greg, follow me. If he said, Joel, follow me. Rod, follow me. Sean, follow me. John, follow me. Would you do it? It's a very obvious question and a very obvious answer, but do we really know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And I don't want anybody to doubt their salvation today. I don't want anybody, anyone to doubt their experience today. But I think this is a question that we should talk about today and just examine our life in a way of, are we really, are we really following Jesus? What does it really mean? To follow Jesus. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19 in the English Standard Version Bible, let's read that. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, Simon son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, this he said to him, follow me. Now there's a quite an interesting discourse here in this communication between, John, or between Peter and Jesus. Peter got a little upset with Jesus because he asked him three times. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? You know, there's some significance in that three times, and we want to go there in just a minute. But the fact that Jesus asked him three times was not an accident. It was not just a way that Jesus wasn't getting the answer that he wanted. He had a reason for that. Because if we remember the story that 
that, that happened just a few weeks before that. The night that Jesus died, Peter denied Christ three times. Three times before the cock crowed, he said, I don't know the man. And he even cussed about it. He used some bad language about it. This is Peter. This is Peter. The rock of what our church is built on. Peter, the rock, denied Christ three times. We read that in John chapter 13, at verse 33. It says, My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and, I, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Then go to 36 and 38. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now here's Peter, a bold, strong Peter, same guy that walked on the water. Same guy that had enough guts to get out of the boat and walk on, on water until he realized what he was doing. Then he got scared and he sunk and Jesus was there to pick him up again. Peter's one of these guys that's up and down. He's, he's, he's a roller, type, roller coaster type guy. Always, um, always being bold. And here he is again. And Jesus answered him and he said, Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Will you really? See, up to this point, Peter was brave. He was still with Jesus, and he was feeling pretty big. He still had Jesus right here with him. He had no idea, but it wasn't going to be shortly, and Peter's life was going to be rocked. And everything was going to go out of control. When the night came and the events began to happen, Peter lost it. Totally lost it. What would you have done? In Peter's situation. What would you have done if, if, if the man that you had followed for three years and who had preached and had taught and had done miracle after miracle and, and broke fish and, and bread and, and fed 4,000 and 5,000 people and, and he walked on the water and, and he did all these things. How would you have felt if all of a sudden he was taken away by an army? And they were putting him on trial. And they were lying about him. And they were accusing him of false things. And they were doing everything wrong. What would you feel like? I think you would have felt like Peter. You would have had a lot of hurt, a lot of abandonment, disillusion, confusion, fear. You name it, total loss of control. That night was the worst night of Peter's life. So, especially when the third time he denied Christ. This just blows me away. They were in a room, apparently, where Jesus could see Peter. Because I've read it in some translations that when he said, No, I don't know the man, the third time when the cock crowed, Jesus looked at Peter. Could you imagine what Peter felt like when their eyes locked? And that third time he denied Christ and Jesus looked at him. Oh, breaks me up just thinking about it. So it's very important then that Jesus had this time later after the crucifixion, 
And after all this had happened and 30, 40 days later, whatever that period of time was, that Jesus had to restore Peter because Peter was still, I'm sure, reeling from that. He was still broken over that because he had, he had disowned and he had for, betrayed his best friend. And so that's why it's so important that in this passage we read earlier that Jesus said three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And three times says, Peter, yes, Jesus, yes, I do love you. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. But the thing I want to get out of this too is that what's, what's, in, what's interesting here is that in verse 19, after he'd been restored, now Jesus was going on to him and saying, um, Peter, I'm going to tell you the kind of death you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die a death like mine. Your arms are going to be stretched out, which means crucifixion style of some type. You're going to have a hard death, Peter. That is not the kind of things you tell to somebody if you want them to follow you. If you were going to really want somebody to follow, you would say, Peter, you know, the worst is over, buddy. Now it's just going to be smooth sailing. It's going to be great. You're going to be, you're going to be the Peter the Rock the church is built on. People are going to listen to you. You're going to have all kinds of, of confidence. You're going to have so, all the kinds of blessings in your life. You're going to be, you're going to be, you've got a great future, Peter. You're blessed. That's what you would say to somebody before you said, follow me. But that's not what Jesus said. And it's so important that we understand that because Peter had to know that his life was going to be rocked still. And then he was going to have to have the commitment to follow Jesus regardless of what was going to happen in his life. That's why it was so important that Jesus told him the facts. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't make it easy for Peter. Jesus wanted to be sure that Peter knew and he understood that the price of following him was going to be a sacrifice. Now, let me ask you a question one more time. If Jesus walked on this aisle and he turned down your pew or your seat and he said, follow me, would you follow him? With that moment of sacrifice that's going to come your way, would you follow him? See, Jesus isn't talking about a Sunday morning fellowship here. He's not talking about follow me on Sunday mornings when it's easy. Follow me on Sunday mornings when the songs are singing and, and the worship is going on and it's such a, spe a sweet presence of mine in the, in the place. He's, he's saying, will you follow me Monday morning? Will you follow me Tuesday night? Will you follow me, how about Thursday? Are you going to follow me in the hard time? And are you going to follow me in the good times? You know, sometimes it's harder to follow God in the good times. Sometimes we talked about, well, we talked about it in Sunday school class today, when we have the peace of King Asa, and we have the peace of all the things happening our way, sometimes it's harder to depend on God further because we have it all taken care of. And it seems like we're good. Jesus was very clear here that we need to follow him in all things, in all things. You know, Peter um, was a man, a man like me and a man like you, and he wasn't super spiritual. And I think it's very important that we realize that because so many times we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament characters and we see them as somebody that we just can't be like. But Peter had some concerns over this calling 
let's not give him too much credit. He's not super spiritual. And when I say that, that makes me feel a little bit better because it makes me feel like maybe I have a chance. Maybe I have a chance to do the same thing because I'm not super spiritual either. I'm just a man. I have fears and I have concerns and I have heartaches and I have disappointments and I have doubts and I have all that stuff. So did Peter. How do we know that? Let's continue reading. John chapter 21, verses 20 through 22. After Jesus had said, follow me, they're walking, Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had been reclining at the table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Here's typical Peter. What's going to happen to his life? How is he going to die? And Jesus says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. Don't worry about him. You worry about you. And I'm giving you the command, Peter, that you follow me. Are we any different than Peter? When the things come our way and we get confused and we don't know why things are happening in our lives, we make all kinds of excuses. We make all kinds of reasons to, to give ourselves an out. We're just like Peter. What about them, Peter, Jesus? What's going to happen to them? But why do I have to live my life different than them? And Jesus is saying, not in a sarcastic way, even though it seemed kind of sarcastic the way Jesus answered them, but Jesus didn't mix words, did he? We think Jesus sometimes is being this, he's a big jovial guy, but you know, Jesus was pretty direct. And therefore, it's okay that we can be direct. And, and he said, what is it to you, Peter? What happens to John? What happens to, to that disciple? You, Peter, follow me. And he's saying it the same to me. Mike, you follow me. It's interesting that Peter had, at one point in time in his life, was very anxious to follow Jesus. If we go back to verse 37, it says, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Why can't I follow you now? I'll, I'll lay my life down for you. That was prior to the crucifixion. That was prior to Peter's denial. At one point, he was ready to go. But here's the point that I think is so important that we miss so, much, so many times in our life, that God's timing is not my timing. That wasn't the right time for Peter to follow Jesus. It hadn't, Peter hadn't learned some lessons in life yet. He needed to go through some experiences. And so, what's so important, what's so neat about the way Jesus works and the way God works and the Holy Spirit works is that they are never out of sync. They never get the cart before the horse. See, Jesus told Peter before, when he said, you're going to deny me three times, that wasn't a negative speak. That wasn't negative confession. That wasn't what we would call in some circles today, um, oh, don't talk bad things because it's going to happen to you. That's not what it was. What it was, it was Jesus proving to Peter through a prophetic nature by saying, Peter, yes, you sound big right now. And yes, you're brave right now, but there's going to come a time, Peter, when you're not going to be so brave. In fact, you're going to deny me three times. And it was important that, that Jesus tell Peter that so that when it was over, when it was a time of restoration, Peter could look back at that and said, wow, 
I, I, I believe him even more because he knew I was going to do it before I did it. And he gave it to him in a, in a prophetic sense so that he didn't um, have to go back and, and, and question it because Jesus said it was going to happen. The timing of the way God works is always perfect. Peter wasn't ready. Jesus wasn't ready. God wasn't ready for Peter to follow him when Peter wanted to. Peter had to go through some tough knocks. He had to go through some hard times. And then Jesus was ready for Peter to follow him. Our life is the same way. We're no different. The timing of God is perfect. And we need to be prepared. But it wasn't then for Peter. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26 talks to Jesus talking to his disciples and this is where we can apply this to our life he said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul Jesus is calling us the same way he called Peter He's calling us the same way. Life is not going to be life of ease and, and the American dream necessarily. Not to say that they're bad. Not to say that at all. But Jesus is clearly asking, what good will it be for someone to gain the world yet forfeit your soul? Do you want to find your soul? Then give it up. Give it up to Jesus. Give it up to him and you will find it because he will give it back to you. Another example of Jesus calling one of his disciples is the account of Matthew recorded in the book of Luke, Luke 5, 27-32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, another name for Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. He didn't go up to him and had any discussion with Matthew. Now, Matthew probably had been following Jesus. He'd probably been, been watching him along the way. So it's not like this is the first time they've ever interacted, probably. It doesn't say any more than that, but it probably he had been experiencing some of the things that Jesus had been doing. But remember, Matthew was a tax collector. He wasn't, he wasn't one of the good guys. Tax collectors were not popular because they were, most of them were crooked, and most of them were Jewish, but yet worked for the Roman Empire, and they were take, collecting taxes from their fellow Jews. And then they were skimming off the top most of the time and making a decent living at it but they weren't friends of the Jews. So they were not popular people. Jesus said to him, follow me, 28 says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Matthew had no question. He was ready. He was ready to follow Jesus. He didn't argue the fact. He just got up and followed him. Now, our call here, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on which way I look at it, is probably not the same call as Matthew's. Jesus probably isn't calling you out of your job. He's not calling you out of your profession. So I don't think we have to worry about Jesus calling us out of, of our, our income and of who we are in, in our physical means today. But know this for sure. He is, the, the heart call is the same. The, 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 the call to your heart for Jesus to come to you and say, follow me, with your heart is exactly the same call that he gave to Matthew. Follow me. Give it all up. Give it all up for me. 
There's no difference there. It is the exact same calling. And here's the key to some of this, is God doesn't need my resources. He doesn't need my job. In fact, it's important that I have a job. It's important that I live and I'm a productive member of society and, I, and that I, I transact life and business here. He's not wanting to take my job. He's not wanting to take my home. He's not wanting to make me a pulper. He's not wanting to take my vehicles. He wants you to have those because that's living and you have to live that way so you can be relevant to those around you and be effective like our mission statement says we should be. But what he wants is my heart. He doesn't need my money. Even though we take an offering, we take an offering and, and it's important that we do that, but not because God needs your money. It's because he needs your heart. And quite often, your heart and your money are tied together pretty tight. It's amazing how much heart is in a dollar bill. Try to give one away. Then you'll find that out. Okay, let's move into a practical example of this. That's, that's really the definition of following Jesus. That's kind of what it is in a heart, or in a, in a nutshell right there, is giving the heart to follow Jesus. But what does it mean today? How do I apply this in my daily life? Because I'm not Matthew, I'm not Peter, and neither are you. We are who we are living in Charlevoix on December 5th on 2010, and how do I apply what was read in the Bible to my life today? Let's apply this. Let's take it more practically, meaning into what do we do? How do I follow Jesus? Now, I could give you a list of do's and don'ts. But you know what that's called? Legalism. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell you specifically in your life how you follow Jesus. Because I can't. I don't have the authority to do that. And even if I did, you wouldn't do it anyways. Would you? Jenna would. Wouldn't you, Jenna? You weren't paying attention, were you? I caught you. <laughs> See? You shouldn't be sitting next to Allison. But it's not an issue of do's and don'ts. Don't talk in church. Pay attention. But there are some things that we need to do. You want to know what you need to do to follow Jesus? Let me, tell you, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to read the Bible, and you need to pray. You need to read the Bible, and you need to pray. And when you read the Bible, and when you pray, the list of do's and don'ts will come into your life from the Bible and from the prayer. It is important that you understand that there has to be a change in your life. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're not going to be who you were and still follow Jesus. There is going to be a change. In Matthew's life, there was a very significant change because he was a tax collector. He was a bad guy, and he got up and he left everything right then and there. It was done. Now, we don't know too much more about Matthew from that regard. I don't think Matthew ever went back to being tax, a tax collector. He left it one time forever and it was over and it was gone. It was that much of a drastic change in, Peter, in Matthew's life when Jesus said, follow me. In the same way, if my heart condition has, the same, has to have that same significant change. I can't follow Christ and follow the world. I can't be... I can't have two masters. The Bible talks about having money 
and God as two different masters. I can't serve both. So when you have the call to follow me, understand there is going to be a change. If you're really following Christ, there's going to be a change. But the change comes from how you read the Bible and how you pray and how it applies to your life, not about what I think your life has to be. It's not about me or any denomination telling you that. But, a cent, but, but here is something that I think that will tell you a little bit about where, where you're coming from. If you have a sense of uprising in your heart, if you say, yeah, it's a good thing because nobody's going to tell me what to do anyways, uh, I would advise you to check your spirit. Because there's going to be some consistency in Christians, in Christian living. That doesn't give us the right to live the way we want to live and, and to say the things we want to say if they don't line up with the Word of God. So if you have this immediate sense of, yeah, it's a good thing he wasn't going to tell me what to do because I wasn't going to do it anyways because I'm who I am and nobody's going to tell me what to do, I would say you better check your spirit. And you better find out who are you that you're going to tell people that God or somebody, a godly person is not going to give you some instruction. That's called not being a teachable person. And we need to be teachable. We all need to be teachable. We all need to have that spirit within us that says, Lord, teach me what you want me to do. I follow, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to make the commitment now. I'm going to follow you. Now you teach me. And then let yourself be teachable. Let me be teachable. And that will, that will let me know then, my spirit will let me know if I really am trying to follow Christ or if I'm really trying to make up my own little religion that makes me feel good. So there's going to come some tough calls to you. There's going to be some tough decisions for you as you follow Jesus. This is Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Luke 12, 22 through 34. Um, you might want to read this in your, in your translation because the message takes a, a, quite, a, quite a different um, look at it. But I really like it because, you know, the, the message, I know some people don't like the message translation because it's too modern day. It takes some of the meat out of the King James Version, okay? And it kind of softens it a little bit. And yes, in some regards it is, but yet there is nothing wrong with looking at multiple translations of the Bible to see how it fits in your life. And the message kind of gives us a way that we can see things maybe in the way we reflect it in our hearts and lives in our, in our century today. It doesn't, it doesn't diminish the reality of God's word. It just gives us a little different way to understand it. Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your inner life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang in your body. Look at the ravens, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God, and you count far more. Has anyone by fussing before the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? If fussing can't even do that, why fuss at all? Walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They don't fuss with their appearance, but have you ever seen the color and design quite like it? The ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the wildflowers, most of them never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? 
What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax. Not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. What Jesus is saying here, if you go back in, in the NIV, verse 30, it says, For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows you need them. He is not saying here in this passage, this rather lengthy passage, he's not saying that your physical needs aren't important. He's not saying that you need to give up on living in this life. He says he knows that you need them. So if he knows that you need them, he's promising to, to meet them. So he's not saying that, that you have to give it all up because you don't need it. You do need it. But being a follower of Jesus is more than just talk and appearance. It really is a life-changing decision point in every person's life. Just like the disciples and Peter had to make a decision to follow Jesus in the early church, we have to make that same decision to continue on the church that we live in today. They had to make a firm commitment to follow Jesus because they were, they were going down uh, uncharted territory. The Bible hadn't been written. They were in the process of writing it. They didn't even know they were writing the Bible. They didn't have any idea what they were doing. All they were doing was following Jesus based upon a commitment that they had to follow him. We have the same commitment requirement of us. We read the Bible, we have a lot more information than they had. But that doesn't diminish the call. It doesn't diminish the commitment that I have to have if I'm going to really be a follower of Jesus. I have to have the same level of commitment because I want to continue on what they started. I want to be a dad that continues on a generational blessing in my family. I want to be a dad that may start a generational blessing in my family. And I have the ability to do so because of who Christ is in me as I follow him. But I must make the commitment to follow Jesus. And it's going to be a commitment in a hard time, and it's going to be a commitment in a good time. But I have to make that decision. I have to make that choice. You know, times are tough. Times are tough, and we just don't know sometimes when it's going to be over. We just don't know sometimes, what, is it worth it? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And the encouraging thing is just that. We don't know. <laughs> the same thing that brings confusion and the same thing that brings um, some, some discouragement is the same thing that can bring us some encouragement. And that is that I don't know what tomorrow brings. Tomorrow may be that answer that comes that I've been praying for for years and years and years. I don't know how close I am to the answer. But I do know that the answer is coming. I do know that the promise of the answer is coming. As I follow Jesus, I'm assured of that. And there's no question about that. As we conclude this morning, where are you? And you're following Jesus. Can you 
relate at all with Peter? Can you relate at all with Matthew and the tax collector that followed Jesus by giving up everything? Are you at that point in time in your life? The outcome of a person's life that's following Jesus is ultimately a life of peace, joy, and eternal life. Understand that. That's the outcome. That's the positive good news. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. See, we're not done following Jesus yet. We're not done. We're not done. We're not going to be done until we follow him into the gates of heaven. Until we follow him through those pearly gates. When our last breath is taken here and we follow Jesus through heaven's streets. So following Jesus is not just for this life. It's not just for getting me through tomorrow. It's, it's an eternal thing. It's an eternal following. And there's joy and there's peace and there's happiness in that. The end of the story is not written yet. We don't know. The book is still being written in our life. And as long as I have breath in my life, that my story is still being written. That healing that I'm praying for, Keep believing. Keep believing. Don't give up on it. Don't give up on it. That family member that I'm praying for, their salvation, don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. Keep hanging in there for them. Stand in the gap. Don't, work, don't give up. It's not over yet. We keep following Jesus one day at a time, one step at a time, one victory at a time, one hard day at a time. Follow me. Follow me. That's all we need to do. We don't need to make it easier or harder. We don't need, it's not our responsibility to do the healing. All we have to do is do the asking. All we have to do is do the believing. Jesus does all the work. He already did the major work on the cross. He, he, he paid the debt for my salvation, for my sin. The healing was already accomplished then. My job, your job now is to keep following Jesus. Keep believing. Keep believing. Hang in there. Don't let the devil rob you of the promise that God has made for you in my life, in your life, and in my life. He wants to. That's his job. That's what he wants to do. He wants to rob you of the blessing that God has. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have eternal life. You have peace, joy, happiness. Then and now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be challenged and that our hearts would be made a little bit more aware 
of what it means to follow you. We say it so flippantly. We say it so matter-of-factly that I'm a Christian. And Lord, I, uh, I just want to reaffirm in my life that I really mean it, that I'm going to follow you. I am going to follow you no matter what happens in my life. No matter the good things that come to my life or the bad things that come to my life, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm not perfect in it, Father, no more than Peter was perfect in it. He wanted to follow you right at the very beginning, and he, fall, and he fell, and he, and he failed miserably. And, Lord, I'm going to fall, and I'm going to fail, but, Father, you will always be there to pick me up. You'll always be there to restore me. You will always be there to encourage me on. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. As you're examining your heart this morning and as, and as you're thinking about your life, can you pray that way? Can you ask that of yourself? You know, the big, the big dilemma is preaching something on Sunday that is meaningful the rest of the week. And I really pray that that happens that you don't forget the messages on Sunday because I really also firmly believe that the Lord gives a message for specific people that are here on Sunday. There was somebody here this morning that needed to hear this specific message. Probably all of us to some degree. Me personally, I've lived through it. I'm living through it. I encourage you to continue to follow Christ, to continue to follow Him. Continue to make that commitment in your life. Don't give up on them. Don't give up. No matter what age you are, don't give up on them. Young person, middle-aged person. If you haven't started, today's the day. But don't give up on Jesus. He's not giving up on you. He's not giving up on you. Father, we just thank you for this day now. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our lives. Help us to learn what it is to follow you more and more and more. Help us to be willing to make the sacrifice. Lord, help us to be willing to praise you in a good time and in a bad time. And help us to really understand the joy, the joy and the fellowship and the peace. So Lord, now as we go throughout this day today, as we go and have our dinner next door, I pray that you would just be in our fellowship be in our time of enjoyment with each other. And Lord, just walk with us throughout this day, throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen.